end is near. The end of 2021, of course. But before we bid farewell to MMXXI, hope you're impressed by my mastery of Roman numerals there, we at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette want to take a minute and reflect on the biggest headlines from our area this year and try to wrap our heads around what just happened. Season's greetings, everyone. I'm Dave Perosic, Metro Editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette, and welcome to a very special edition of the Know the News podcast. We usually spend some time on this show previewing the fine content our journalists have coming for you in the newspapers, weekend editions, and on our website. But because of various people's schedules during the holidays, we're recording this a bit earlier than we usually do. Therefore, as of this recording, I'm not properly informed on what exactly we'll have for you this weekend. But we'll get right down to business. Um, I'm happy to be joined today by a few of my colleagues here at the newspaper. And together, we're going to take a look back at some of the biggest stories of the past year, specifically from Northwest Arkansas. Let me start by quickly introducing my guests, all of them reporters. We have Ron Wood, our Washington County Courts and Transportation reporter. Good to see you, Ron. Thanks for having me. Also with us is Mary Jordan, our Education and Creative Economy reporter. Hi, Dave. To, Thanks for having me. Good to see you as well, Mary. And joining us by phone today, we also have Janelle Jessen, who covers health and the cities of Rogers and Lowell. Hello, Janelle. Hey, Dave. Thanks for having me. Happy to have you all here. Now, uh, before we go any further, I want to mention that we have posted a poll on our website listing several of the year's top stories from our area and asking readers to vote on what they think was the very top story of the year. Some nominees include the long-awaited opening of the Bell Vista Bypass, the resignation of UA Chancellor Joel Steinmetz, and one gravit man's involvement in the January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol. You can find that poll and vote at nwaonline.com slash 2021 stories. Again, that's nwaonline.com slash 2021 stories. Now, another story that made a whole lot of news this year was the Josh Duggar trial held just this month. Duggar, 33 of Springdale, was charged in federal court with two counts involving receiving and possessing child pornography. The jury found him guilty on both counts. And our Ron Wood was our reporter covering the trial. Ron, uh, you've been covering the courts for how long now? About 30 years. So you've sat in on a trial or two. Yeah, one or two. I'm curious, what made uh, this trial different from others that you've covered, and what were some of, uh, I guess, the challenges that you encountered along the way just trying to do your job? The biggest thing about this one was uh, the national media circus, just the circus atmosphere surrounding the trial. The uh, charges themselves are nothing uh, really unusual. I mean, Child porn cases in the Western District of Arkansas are a dime a dozen. I think the last time one actually went to trial was probably five years ago because uh, feds usually uh, won't even seek an indictment unless they've got you dead to rights. 
-hmm. So the fact that this one went to trial, that was that was unusual. I'm not sure uh, why that happened. You'd have to ask Josh and his lawyer on that one, but uh, just the influx of uh, of people from around the country, media from around the country, who uh, who sat through this trial was uh, like nothing I'd ever seen. Hmm. I think uh, it's probably the uh, first time I've ever seen someone eat a sandwich in a federal courtroom. <laughs> and um, there were a lot of restrictions as well. Uh, no electronic devices of any kind were even allowed in the courthouse. And that makes it really hard for us because uh, I have, have to leave the courthouse, go to my car, find my phone, just to, just to report back to you guys on... Uh, on what happened that morning. So it was, it was a struggle. It uh, went on for seven days, which is a long time for a federal trial. And uh, I think they got it right. And the, the restrictions on phones and, and uh, communication devices in the courtroom, is that unusual for you to, to experience? I mean, in any well, trial? In any, any situation, you would have to have your electronic devices turned off. In most instances, you can bring them with you, and you can go outside the courtroom and use them. Uh, wasn't the case here. I think that the judge was really trying to keep the fray down. We had a lot of people who were not uh, not the usual people who cover these cases. We're not familiar with the court rules, and uh, it, it got pretty crazy sometimes. Long days for you. Yeah, uh, a lot, a lot of. 12, 14-hour days during that one. Any interesting tidbits from, you know, behind the scenes that you can share that you weren't able to talk about in your stories or didn't have room for, anything that stood out to you? There were several things. Some of them didn't get in my story because uh, you have to be very careful about identifying victims of uh, sexual assault. There was testimony uh, during the trial about uh, Josh Duggar's past indiscretions, and uh, I think some of that was some of the more insightful things uh, that happened, and I couldn't write about them. Now, Mike or not, we're not done with the story quite yet. Uh, there's more to come about it, including the, uh, Mr. Taylor's sentencing, mm -hmm. um, which I understand is coming, would be about? It'll be about three, three to four months in the federal system. It takes that long to prepare a pre-sentence report and get everybody ready for the sentencing. Everybody <clears throat> gets to make their arguments, and the judge will decide. One of the things that I find interesting is uh, is whether or not the fact that Josh went to trial will affect the sentence that he gets, because uh, one of the big things they look at is acceptance of responsibility. So he could get more time because he went to trial. Interesting. Well, um, let's switch subjects now and talk about probably the biggest story anywhere, COVID-19, which obviously had wide-ranging impacts globally. 2020 was bad. Unfortunately, 2021 wasn't much better as far as COVID goes, despite the availability of vaccines. And Janelle, you came on board as our health reporter just as the summer surge was ramping up. What story or stories that you wrote on the subject of COVID were the most interesting to you? Um, I think the story on ivermectin was one that really stood out to me. Um, I think on August, in August, I reported 
uh, somewhat co coincidentally, uh, the same week that the news about the Washington County Sheriff's Office using the drug for treating inmates came out, I reported that 24 people in Ar Arkansas had called the Poison Control Center after ingesting the livestock form of the drug, including 23 people who were attempting to use it to treat COVID-19. I have horses and animals, so I'm very familiar with ivermectin, and I've been using it for years to treat and prevent parasites in my animals. And I've seen the warning signs in, on the food store shelves for months, but I still find it surprising that so many people were actually using the livestock formulation of the drug to self-medicate. And, um, and to be clear, there is a formulation of ivermectin for humans available by prescription approved by the FDA for treating parasites. But the local experts I talked to and the FDA said the evidence for using ivermectin for humans is, is pretty lacking and using ivermectin formulated for livestock is obviously dangerous. Some other stories that stood out to me, vaccine hesitancy, the Northwest Arkansas Council did a vaccine hesitancy study that explored people's reasons for not wanting to get the COVID-19 vaccine that I found was pretty insightful. And then in August, I think I wrote a story about breakthrough cases about people who had gotten COVID after being fully vaccinated and what their experience was. You are officially our health reporter, but for all intents and purposes, we might as well call you the our COVID reporter. Uh, week <laughs> right. after week, you're writing about new cases in our area, numbers of hospitalizations due to COVID and, and this and that, deaths. How does this compare to other reporting assignments you've had in the past and, you know, has it had any effects on you personally? Oh, for sure. Um, in the past, I've reported on city government and schools, but this reporting just feels much more, I don't know if grave is the right word, or serious. Um, I've had the privilege of talking to local experts every week to get their perspective, but I've also seen the tide of misinformation coming from every direction on topics like vaccination or ivermectin um, on social media from friends and family. And then it's just a sad topic to report on. I think during this, the worst of the surge in August, I dreaded calling the local coroners every Friday to get the latest number of deaths. As of today, I think there's been a total of 1,777 deaths in Benton, Washington, Sebastian, and Crawford counties. And that's the population of some of our smaller towns in the area. When you think about that, it's pretty sobering. One story that comes to mind that especially hit me hard was about Chastity Reeves, a young widow who lost her 29-year-old husband, Caleb, to COVID in August. And after his death, she began urging to other people to get vaccinated and just Talking to her and hearing her and her husband's story was was personally just pretty difficult. And he was unvaccinated? Yes, he was unvaccinated because, you know, they were both young and healthy and they, they didn't feel like it was a priority. Mm -hmm. uh, so many stories like that. I want to turn now to Mary, who covers education for us. Mary, we heard a lot throughout the year nationally about school board meetings getting rowdy over the subject of mask mandates. You regularly cover board meetings in Benville, Rogers, Springdale, and Fayetteville. Uh, what was your experience like covering those meetings? Were they very contentious or not? Well, 
I, I will say that it was difficult to know what you're walking into in any given week. You know, there was always a lot of passion and emotion at these meetings on, on both sides. You know, you had uh, the community who, you know, their most valuable resource to them being their children. They're fighting the good fight as they understand it for their children. And then you have school boards and districts trying to make what they think is the right decision amidst just constantly changing information, you know? So, um, gosh, they, they're probably the biggest challenge of, the, of, of covering the boards. And, you know, not just the lack of knowing what the situation, the scene, the climate might be when you walked in had to do with the fact of misinformation, like uh, Janelle was saying earlier. Everybody who was addressing the board, everybody had something to validate their opinion. You know, whether it was uh, supported by science or faith or the alignment of the planets, you know, it just really didn't matter. They, they were able to find something to validate their, their opinion, and they were so adamant that they were on the right side of the argument. And, and there was no right and wrong. It was just what was out there in trying to sort out the right information as reporters. It makes for a challenge for us, right, because we we are trying to filter through all that misinformation and, and wanting to tell people stories and get their their thoughts and their comments out there on what they hope for their children and their learning environment, but trying to also make sure that what they're telling you is accurate, not just by their opinion, but is actually accurate for reporting to the community so that we're not contributing to the misinformation. Right. It's a challenge for reporters everywhere. And Do you know of any districts in the area that still have a mask mandate in place. We started out in 2021, everyone was wearing masks and, and then COVID slowed down and districts started to ease up on, on mandates and then summer surge and a lot of districts decided, not all of them, but some implemented mask mandates. And for the start of this school year in August, what, where are we now in that? Are, are any districts still yeah. have any in place? Mm -hmm. Yep, Fayetteville right now, um, they still have a mask mandate in place. They uh, amended it earlier, uh, gosh, I think it was in uh, October, actually, to make it optional for grades 7 through 12 for both staff and students for those grades. And right now it's required only for uh, grades K through 6. Um, and that is through December 31st uh, to give students in that age group a chance to get fully vaccinated before removing the mandate for them as well. Besides mask mandates... Um, are there any other stories, Mary, that you worked on either from the education beat or the creative economy beat that, um, that you found particularly interesting? Well, you know, talking about the creative economy beat, I'm glad you brought that up, but I had such a, a great privilege to uh, report on Crystal Bridges' 10th anniversary. Um, the creative economy is something that is just constantly growing in this region, that the Walton family is just incredibly influential on, and, and seeing the footprint that they've made. You know, I, I will interview people across the country, and I mentioned Crystal Bridges, and they know exactly what I'm talking about. They understand exactly the influence it has. And when you look at, over the course of 10 years, what has grown as a result of that, the development within Bentonville, things within the trail system that are connecting our, our towns, the development of the momentary in the market district down by A Street in Bentonville, and then subsequently, the artist residency housing that they're building in that same space through um, art space, which I shouldn't say they. The Momentary and Crystal Bridges is not actually building it. A group called 
art space is actually building this residency on land owned by the momentary and crystal bridges in Bentonville. So when you see all of that coming from um, a seed that was planted by this American art museum and how much it's influenced the region and the economy and it's continuing to do that, it, it's just absolutely amazing to me. It's just a, a huge testament to the influence of art within this community. Earlier I mentioned the reader poll we're conducting about the top stories of 2021. And as of right now, the top vote-getter is the completion of the Bella Vista Bypass. Back to Ron, you were there on September 30th. I was. When the governors of Arkansas and Missouri cut the ribbon on the bypass at at the border, I believe. Uh Uh-huh. Can you take us back and describe what uh, what the atmosphere was like that day? It was a beautiful day sunshine everybody was happy and with good reason i mean that that is a huge project it's something that needed to be done forever i didn't think i would ever live long enough to drive on it but uh, obviously i was wrong and i'm happy about that everything that is connected with that and it's just going to be huge for our region because now we're uh, connected to uh points north and south that uh, needed to be able to reach safely and then uh, and quickly. This was huge for uh, Bella Vista itself because uh, it used to just be a nightmare to try to get through Bella Vista on 71 because of the trucks and the stoplights. Kind of changed things a little bit for uh, Gravit, I believe. They yes. went from uh, being a small town in the middle of nowhere to having two, uh, two exits on a uh, major interstate highway and uh, they're going to be feeling uh, that they're going to be feeling the impact of that for several years to come as well oh yeah and i i live in the area up up there and drive through bella vista often i'm sure and the the amount of traffic comparison is just incredible um i mean it's just so much less traffic now uh going on bella vista way how long did it take to to see that change uh, oh, it was almost instantaneous, uh, overnight, I would say, you know, um, from the day after it op- the bypass opened. Yeah, I know I know there were uh, people people out driving on it within hours of the ribbon cutting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Quite a project to watch. Um, and, and you have been covering it for years. Yeah, a number of years. I'm not sure how long. Ever, si- ever since I've been covering regional transportation. Mm-hmm. It's uh, and it was a uh, project that uh, a lot of people were working on. Regional planning, uh, Northwest Arkansas Council, people like that, uh, business leaders had been working on it for uh, a good ten years or twenty before that. If we ever get the uh, section between Fort Smith and Texarkana done, it's going to be great. That will have uh, have us driving on one continuous road from uh, the Gulf of Mexico to Canada. We, we don't have time to delve into all the top stories of the year, but there are others worth mentioning. Uh, the death of Pea Ridge police officer Kevin Apple, who was killed after being dragged by a vehicle that he was attempting to make contact with at a Pea Ridge gas station. Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art, Mary mentioned earlier, uh, celebrating his 10th anniversary, but also announcing a major expansion. Uh, 
Alice Walton announcing plans to build a medical school in Benville. And uh, from the world of sports, the Hogs men's basketball team advancing to the Elite Eight for the first time in 26 years. And not to be outdone, the Hogs football team uh, enjoying its best season in a decade. Um, do either of you have any thoughts on our top story of the year? There are a lot of good stories out there. I, I think uh, from the standpoint of the entire region, you have to go with Bella Vista Bypass just because it impacts so many people. I, I'd have to agree with Ron. I, you know, I'm not originally from this region, but it fell just short of Disneyland opening for my family when they found out about that news. So I, I think because it's going to have a long-term impact on the region, and then it's going to just streamline so many uh, different avenues of transportation, even just shipping to the region. It'll bring a lot more people. It'll bring a lot more commerce. So it's going to be good. Janelle, do you want to weigh in on this? Uh, yes, I would agree with both of them. Um, I live in western Benton County, and so now it takes me about 20 minutes to get to the Missouri line instead of probably 45 or 50 minutes. It's, wow. it's had a big impact on um, our family, and also I know the whole region. Yeah. Well, I want to thank each of you for joining me on the podcast today. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that this is Mary Jordan's last week with the newspaper. She started with us a few years ago doing online engagement before moving into a reporting position. And now she's moving on to another opportunity with a different employer. And we hate to see you go, Mary. You'll um, be missed. Oh, thanks so much. I, I, this team has been incredible. I couldn't have asked for a better place to land in Northwest Arkansas when I came down here. So thank you so much for everything. Thank you. And um, you, you've done great work for us. Uh, so to all three of you, thanks thanks very much. And I just want to uh, reiterate the mention again, the poll online at nwaonline.com slash 2021 stories if you want to weigh in. And Tune in to us uh, next week for uh, Know the News podcast. We'll be back, and as we are every Friday. If um, uh, you're not a subscriber to us, don't miss out on any of our great content. Just hit the subscribe button on our website or call us at 479-684-5509. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe. All you have to do is Hit the subscribe button on your device right now. Thanks for listening, everyone. Happy New Year. This is Dave Perosic signing off for Know the News.